everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Hopefully you are enjoying all of your leftover Halloween candy. We won't tell anybody if you overbought just to make sure that you had extras. Well, you know how we made sure we had extra. We had snow, four inches of snow. We had a snowstorm (laughs) on Halloween, and only the littles of the littles came out to trick-or-treat. Well, no, there, there were a couple of teenagers that came out too. Okay, there were five... Okay. All well, of them the, wearing the, the V for Vendetta mask. mask. Yeah. Yeah. Matching gray sweatshirts and a V for Vendetta mask. Yes. Is that also the Guy Fox mask? It, it may be. I just remember it's from V as Vendetta. He used to wear it in that movie. And that, I think that's a comic too. Yeah, but I think it's the Guy Fox Probably. mask. Possibly. I don't know enough about the whole Guy Fox thing. So, you know, we'd have to. Guess Do research. Better that mask than the scream mask, because that would have been creepy. Okay, especially when they lined up at the foot of our driveway, much like yes, they actually they did. did. That was that was hysterical. Um, as I was shoveling the snow and turned around, and there they were. Yes, yes. Um, but before we get started, <clears throat> okay, we need to pause briefly because we need to get a special guest in to tell a story. Oh, okay. So it's been a while since he's been on, but we had to give the boy an opportunity to talk about an experience he had last week. So I'm at work, um, finishing up whatever that I was doing, and I come walking up to the front where all of a sudden I, there's a family of three. Mother and father in Haas F1 sweatshirts. And um, when I get the chance, I ask the father if they were F1 fans. Um, parent, uh, my response, the response given to me was, no, we aren't F1 fans. We work for Haas with Grosjean and Magnussen. Yeah, because when he first mentioned this to me, I said, oh, well, you know, there is the, the Haas factory outlet store that, that's over by O'Hare Airport. And that must be, and he, no, they told me they work with, with Grosjean and Magnussen. Or not Magnus. Yeah, Magnus. Mm-hmm. K-Mag himself. So then what happened? Um, he then asks if we were fans of F1, and I told him, yeah, we were pretty big fans considering the fact that we have this very specific podcast right now. And he then says, okay, I have something for you. Walks out, goes to his car, grabs a Haas F1 t-shirt, Brings it back in and hands it to me. So whoever the mystery Haas F1 team member was, who was in Crystal Lake, Illinois, number one, thank you. It was super cool. Number two, we'd love to know who you are. We sent a note out to Haas F1 on on uh, through Twitter, and we haven't heard anything back. Um, but we'd love to know who you are and what you do and what happened to have brought you to Crystal Lake, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know why they were here. They were obviously scouting out to see if uh, we were worthy to get K. Mag and Grosjean on the show. Yeah, that was de- that was definitely what it was. It, total scouting trip. <laughs> so yeah, whoever the mystery Haas folks were, we really appreciate it. You made the boys. I'm not sure you really made his day but you probably made his week <laughs> <laughs> okay so the best part of the story 
um, he comes home to relay this story. And all I hear is your question is, was it Kevin Magnuson? Was it Roman Grosjean? No, dad. I know who they are. <laughs> <clears throat> so we do. We we are now huge fans of the Haas F1 support team, I guess. We don't know who they are, but I mean, there's I'm a get- family that we like. I'm, I'm going to assume it wasn't Gunther. I'm assuming. He didn't say anything about an accent. That, so. That's why I assume it wasn't Gunther. Gunther does have a fairly distinct accent. True. True. Maybe it was Gene. Maybe it was Gene and family. It could have been Gene. You know, that's always a possibility. Could have been Gene. I'm telling you, <clears throat> they were here because they heard that the most listened to F1 podcast produced by us was being produced in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. So if you think about that, okay. So if it actually was Gene, uh-huh. walk into the store, get called out by somebody in the store for wearing Haas F1 gear, say that they're Formula One fans, but don't recognize Gene Haas. Could you imagine the irony of <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm really hoping it wasn't Gene. <laughs> you know, we're going to have to do some, like, flashcards with the boy. <laughs> we ever take him to a race, we're doing flashcards. Oh, yeah. Speaking of flashcards. You need. You still need flashcards for IndyCar? Well, of course I need flashcards for IndyCar. I have, like, totally sat down on my whole job of trying to keep up with IndyCar. Um Mostly because Alexander Rossi didn't win it this year. He came close. Mm, I know. He keeps getting close. He's like, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Well, we are actually, we're going to start off with some IndyCar news because today there was some pretty big IndyCar news that broke. Fairly earth shattering. Um, Word came out today that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the NTT IndyCar Race Series in its entirety has been sold. Really? Uh, the previous owners were uh, Holman and Company. I'm not sure who they were. Uh, but they announced today that they have sold the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the NTT IndyCar Series, and Indianapolis Motor Speedway Productions, which is their, their film arm to Penske Entertainment Corporation, a subsidiary of the Penske Corporation. Really? Which means that Roger Penske not only owns an IndyCar team, but now he owns the series that that team competes in and the crown jewel of the IndyCar circuit, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Does that mean he could just give himself the trophy? Well, you know, he could potentially influence the series a little bit there in terms of where it goes. I mean, that seems really, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, Now, just to to further tie, as much as Roger Penske has some serious racing pedigree behind him, um, it was his team that won the 2019 Indianapolis 500 with Simon Pagenaud. (laughs) Do you think that maybe... 2019 they decided that you know when you win the series you should get the racetrack well it, it, not just that but you know it was joseph newgarden his other driver who won the championship the driver's championship this year <sighs> so yeah maybe you, you just you kind of win the big ones and 
you get a racetrack, yeah. you get a racetrack, <laughs> you get a racetrack. <laughs> you get an IndyCar series. <laughs> well, congratulations on your new purchase there, Mr. Pinsky. Um, I'm adoptable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I have no doubt that the series and the track and indie productions is in very good hands oh, as yeah. part of the Penske organization. But that was fairly momentous news there that everything has been sold. Right. Yeah. So we have more information about McLaren's partnership with Arrow Schmidt Peterson Motorsports to form the Arrow McLaren SP IndyCar team. They have named their new drivers. Now, as you'll recall, Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, formerly a Honda team, Honda-powered team, uh, featured James Hinchcliffe Mm -hmm. as uh, one of their drivers and very close ties with Honda, one of their big spokesmen. Does some pretty good commercials for him. Yes, he does. And Marcus Erickson. The guy that helped me. He come in second last year in our fantasy GP. Yes. Marcus's first year in IndyCar. Um... He had a pretty decent year, Marcus did. He's a cutie. Um, However, despite getting assurances that James Hinchcliffe would continue to drive for the team in 2020, it turns out he's actually out. Well... Like, within days of the last reassurance that James still had a job, he's out. Oh. Uh, Instead... Uh, the 2018 and 2019 Indy Lights champions Patricio O'Ward and Oliver Askew have been given seats at the team. And when you told me this, I said, huh, I don't know them. And then you reminded me that I very much know Oliver Askew. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As he drove against our favorite Indy Lights driver. Robert McGinnis. I mean, he came up pretty quick. There's some potential talent there with Oliver. Now, that said, all talent aside, you're talking brand new team. Mm -hmm. Brand new drivers. Yes, Schmidt-Peterson has has some experience there. They're, They're not new, but this is a new partnership, a new team. And you've got two rookie drivers. Oh, yeah. I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in, in this move for McLaren. But they have two rookie drivers that don't have ties to Honda. And That's you, the thing. you can thank their Formula One ties for busting that entire Honda relationship mm-hmm. way to pieces. So as a reminder, the, the new team will be a Chevy-powered team. Well, um, it can't be anything else. There's no other engine in IndyCar. IndyCar has said that they are trying to pursue some additional options. Yeah, I hear Renault is looking for customer <laughs> teams. Too soon? Not yet. Too soon? <laughs> no, not yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> so, even though Hinch is out of a seat, he did have a contract. So, as a result, McLaren, not Schmidt-Peterson, but McLaren will be paying Hitch's salary next year if he does not get a seat. Alrighty. You know, if I was Mr. Hinchcliffe, I wouldn't think that was such a bad deal. <laughs> yeah. Go sit on my bottom for a year and uh, collect a salary. 
as Zach Brown acknowledged, quote, the driver bill has increased. You think? Yeah. You know, honestly, if you're you're James Hinchcliffe, and, and even Zach admits this, you know, he is a popular and successful race car driver. He is not somebody who really wants to sit on the sidelines, whether he's going to get paid to sit out or not. No, he does not. Um, so that's the question, if he can get into one of these other teams. Um, there's also, I think, some question is, is the amount of money that he's got behind him uh, would that be enough to convince a team to add a car to, to accommodate him? Um, so still seeing what's going to be a potential option for him or if there's a potential option. But, yeah, he got screwed royally. Um, and apparently there is a degree of the IndyCar fan base that has been alienated because of this. Oh. Yes. Hinch is kind of popular. Well, yeah. <clears throat> he's got this whole Hinchtown thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's, he's a... He's a He's a force. So Marcus Erickson is over with uh, Chip Ganassi Racing now. Okay, so will he be racing with... Um... Scott Dixon and Felix Rosenquist okay. is where is who he will be joining. So Ganassi no longer has Chilton. Remember, Chilton, Chilton. left to Carlin a couple years ago. That's right. I was like, he moved. Right. Um, but while we're talking about, well... Sauber drivers, former Sauber drivers, Alf Farb. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to transition over to F1 and and how we go from Marcus Erickson and former Sauber driver to Alfa Romeo racing, former Sauber. Okay. Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi is keeping his seat. Yay. But we don't know about Kimi Raikkonen. No, he's on a two-year deal. Oh, okay. So, so Kimmy was already confirmed, unless Kimmy decided that he was done this year, which honestly, I have a feeling what's going to happen now is as long as a team is willing to pay Kimmy, Kimmy will continue to race until he dies. <laughs> that is so morbid. True, but morbid. He, he's he's the kind of person that he's not necessarily, um, clearly, if, he, if he's sitting in Alfa Romeo right now, he's not chasing wins. Mm-mm. He's it, it. He can race and he can get paid. He's good. At, well, yeah. Show up, grunt a little <clears throat> bit, wave your hand around, ignore people, and go get drunk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but Giovinazzi has a ride, and he's been doing really well lately. He's been like out qualifying Kimmy a couple of times too. I think he's been kind of hot. I mean, he didn't have a great start to the season. No, he's he definitely getting better. Um, I I don't really see him having a massive future yet. No, from what I've seen. No, I don't think he's one of the hot newness, you know, young hotnesses that is coming up through the ranks. Nobody's looking at Antonio Giovinazzi and going, that guy, he's a future world champion. No. Not not like they talk about a Max or a Daniel Ricciardo or somebody like that. I think Daniel is going to get screwed with just the poor timing. He is, unfortunately. Yeah. I think Max has got enough longevity to last out for Lewis to retire. Because I think that's that is the next shift that's going to happen is waiting for Lewis to retire. I don't know, and, and we can talk more about the. Well, we can talk about it now. So I, I am not a hundred percent positive that Lewis 
is, I mean, Lewis is certainly a factor. I mean, you, as long as he is performing at the level that he is performing at, he will always be a factor in the championship. Mm-hmm. That said, when we walked into this season, we didn't think that Mercedes had it in them. And it's not just Lewis that has to pull it off. Ferrari, we've seen glimpses of it this year. Oh, I think Ferrari is the closest that they have been in multiple years. What, yeah. six? Um, I think they're getting closer. And that's the question is, in the next year, because they'll have one more year to deal with this, mm-hmm. in the next year, are they going to get close enough to actually make it a two-constructor battle in reality? I don't think it's a question of will they get close enough. It's more a question, I think, of will they get consistent enough? That's the other thing. Because I think they're close enough. But we're still seeing way too many botched strategy calls from them. Mm -hmm. We're still seeing an inability to adapt consistently, quickly to circumstances. Correct. And I think it's those two right there are the biggest thing that's— that at least at the beginning of the season— has held Ferrari back. Well, I think that those are our big Ferrari problems, but then you have to add into the factor that the team could be firing on all cylinders. They still have to look at their drivers. Mm -hmm. And what you've got is you've got two drivers, arguably both of them are better drivers than I am. (laughs) So I'm I'm not going out there saying, I could do so much better. This is not armchair driving here. This is... We've got Sebastian Vettel that's got a chip on his shoulder now because he's trying to prove something, and he's he's making dumb mistakes because there there's a psychology going on with with Seb. Seb is his own worst enemy. He he, he is. It, it's a combination of anger and aggression, which I think he's tailored at least the public showing of that to some degree. I mean, it, it's not as bad as it was two years ago. But it still comes out in a tendency every so often to overdrive that car. Mm-hmm. Or to overdrive the car, period, regardless of what the car is. And I think that that, that those are Seb's errors. Mm-hmm. And then you come along and you look in... You cannot argue that part of getting a constructor title... The whole thing is it's a team sport. You've got to have both drivers doing well. And picking up the extra points. Well, mm-hmm. Charles Leclerc is very good when he's on, but he's young. And he's going to have those years. I mean, Max is not that much older and not much more mature, but Max has gone through a lot of growing up. And Charles has to do some of that growing up too to be consistent. We watched Lewis have to grow up yeah. too. I mean, I'm not saying that. <clears throat> They don't all have to go through it. But you're watching Lewis at his peak, and you're watching these other kids coming up having to go through that awkward teenage well, I, stage. I think one of the things that we have seen in the past that that we have not seen before at Ferrari is that usually you don't see that maturing process happen at Ferrari. True. Ferrari, that, that's why Ferrari tends to go with the older drivers. There's sparks of it there, and I have no doubt that within three years, Charles Leclerc is going to be a force to be reckoned with in Formula mm-hmm. One. Regardless of what happens to Lewis Hamilton, 
he is going to be a force to be reckoned with in Formula One. I'm not sure Seb is still there, but you've got, yes, the, the drivers need to get the consistency there. Mm-hmm. So but, the team has to be consistent. Yeah. Our drivers need to be consistent <clears throat> for them to bring the battle to Mercedes. Now, I will say of the last six titles that they've had, this is the one they've had to fight the hardest for, quite frankly. And I still don't think yeah. it was as hard. They weren't fighting as hard as they could have. If Ferrari had been half on their game as opposed to not on their game at all, okay, let, it would have been different. At, what was it? The first six races of the season where Ferrari was, I don't want to say nowhere to be found, but they certainly underperformed. Mm-hmm. I mean, Abu Dhabi, they they had it. It was theirs, and they they lost it to mechanical issues. Um, yeah. Bahrain. Bahrain, you're right. It was Bahrain. We haven't Not, gone we haven't to done, Abu Dhabi. We haven't done Abu Dhabi yet. I was thinking it was one of those desert tracks out in the Middle East. Yeah, no, it was it was Bahrain that they should have had that. That was their their win and blew up an engine. Oh yeah. And but there's been other issues too. There there was a, I think it was Andy Benson who mentioned made the comment earlier this week going into the weekend that you know when you lock out the front row multiple races you should be winning those races yeah regardless of whether or not your fir- it's your first place driver or your second place driver when you are locking out the row and locking out that front row and doing it multiple races in a row you got to deliver and they didn't no no um anyway so that was our fabulous transition into formula one <laughs> um and to talk about you know all the great things but i think you wanted to start with a press conference where seb and lewis discuss how it is to drive against one of the young upstarts well it, it was in the the aftermath of the mexican grand prix and um lewis having the issue at, at turn two and pushing uh both him and max off into the grass um Lewis and uh, it was actually it was yeah it was it was Lewis Seb and Valtteri were asked in the post race press conference if they give Max extra room and if he is the most aggressive driver on the grid mm. and all three of them said that oh yeah they definitely drive differently and race differently around Max um, Lewis was the one who who was the most vocal on the on the topic uh, saying that yeah I think every driver is slightly different. Some are smarter, some are very smart, aggressive, and some are silly with it. And so through those experiences of racing with people, you give some more space and others you don't have to. They're quite respectful. But yeah, Max, it's very likely you're going to come together with Max if you don't give him extra space. So most of the time you do. But I, uh, and in talking about the experience in turn two, he said, but it, as I said, in my experience, I didn't have a lot of space to give him extra space but I don't think it was intentional or anything like that. He's a magnet for these kind of things. But yeah, nonetheless, I managed to keep the car together in a straight line, fortunately. So then they asked Seb whether or not he treated Max differently and if if Max was the most aggressive on the field. And Seb's response was yes and yes. (laughs) And he was asked to explain a little more. And Seb said, no, just copy-paste. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Max apparently is a, 
bit upset. He didn't like these comments. Um, but I think they're valid. And, well, and, and it's not necessarily Max's. And, and yes, Max has freely admitted that he will push the limits where he can and when he can. Mm-hmm. And his father dry, pushes him to do it too. That's fine. I don't necessarily, I, I don't think that he drives overly dirty. Daniel Ricardo was asked about it in the pre-race buildup um, about how Max drives. And Daniel had said his only issue that he has had with Max is that, <clears throat> and I don't think he does it as much anymore, but Max was fairly well known for moving under braking. Yeah. Which you're not supposed to do. And he would do it anyway. I, Yeah, drivers know that this is how Max drives. You give him extra space. Okay. Well, I think at the end of the day, I mean, all the drivers have to get to that point where they have respect for each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where what Lewis and every other driver is saying is, I know how close I can get to all the drivers on the grid. Some of them I can get right up next to them and I know what they're going to do and they're not going to throw me for a loop. Mm -hmm. So we could drive inches away from each other. Max is unpredictable enough that you don't do that to him. Yeah. And I don't know why Max, I mean, if, if it was said that way, it was not said quite as nicely as that. I can get where Max thinks that that was mean or something that somebody shouldn't have said that. Well, the reality is they're saying you're aggressive and you you are unpredictable enough that we can't drive really close to you. Well, it's also I think it's that understanding that, you know, you you, just because you're leaving somebody some extra room around a corner from a safety perspective does not mean you're leaving the door wide open. Correct. And, and that's the difference is that Max a lot of times views that as you're leaving the door open. I'm going to stick my nose in. Right. That's not always what happens. I mean, you look at Singapore and, and that race there, and that wasn't Max's fault. You know, he, he got pinched between seven, the, the two Ferraris. Mm-hmm. He was in the wrong place. Wrong. He had he to absolutely have that right to be there. But he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Not his fault. There are incidents, but some of that is because Max sees what he thinks is an opening and sticks his nose in, and most drivers don't necessarily think it's an opening. Right. But <clears throat> when in doubt, Max is going to go for it. I mean, and if that's something we appreciate. I, I, I refuse to be the person that's so two-faced that says, well, it's okay when Lewis does it, but it's not okay when Max does it. Yeah. As long as Max does not become the first lap nutter and, and taking people out inappropriately, I don't necessarily mind that he see, he takes the extra space as being leaving the door open. I think with years and some years and some maturity and some real life experience of how those like situations will f- go down he'll start to see which ones are which drivers he's intimidated enough to actually force them to leave the door open to him and how to exploit that but he's well, not quite he doesn't have that little piece yet uh, th- there's a part of me that also th- and, and we've seen it quite a bit with max this year 
of when he ends up in a situation where he's behind, mm-hmm. whether it's a crappy start or there's an incident or a mechanical issue or whatever, that he finds himself knocked out of the front of the pack. He fights extraordinarily aggressive to make his way back up. And I, I think what we have seen this year is that he's been overly aggressive in those situations. More than just, I want to try... I mean, what we saw in, in, in Mexico, Mexico in particular, was he was pretty close to, to ping-ponging off of cars until that car until he broke the car enough that he, he retired. And that's where I think the work needs to happen of when he gets the setback and he his race is now in a recovery mode is knowing exactly what the point is to back off on the aggression. Yes, you have to be more aggressive. Yes, you have to push for for passes that that folks don't know and everyone loves it when we see those passes in places that you don't normally see passes. But it's that recognition of there's a limit. Mm-hmm. And just because someone's leaving you extra space doesn't mean they're leaving the door open. Correct. So. Okay. Other stories. Keep moving. Um, Mexico City, as a result of Valtteri Bottas' fairly significant crash uh, at, uh, that wasn't, maybe it was, was it Paratalta? No, Curva del Sol. There's a lot. Paratalta is in uh, Italy. Curva del Sol coming out of the, the stadium, the big crash that Valtteri had. As a result of that, uh, the FIA is taking a look at the placement of the Tech Pro barriers at the uh, at the track. Okay. So the concern is, so Valtteri hit the, bar- hit the wall, hit the concrete, well before the Tech Pro and dragged along the wall and came to the Tech Pro. And that's where the bigger impact occurred, was hitting the start of the Tech Pro barrier. Okay. Um, that's where, um, if, if he was injured in it, that's where that injury occurred, was from the impact with the Tech Pro and hitting the start of the Tech Pro. So the question is, and, and what the FIA is going to take a look at is, do they need to move either where the Tech Pro is or remove it completely from that wall? Because the, the angle that he hit was perfectly... I mean, in terms of the impact from hitting the wall, the concrete wall, it wasn't significant for Valtteri. Right. So the idea being that, okay, if, they, if the car had continued along the concrete of the wall and never hit the Tech Pro, there wouldn't have been... It would have just dragged to a stop as opposed to the sudden hit from hitting the corner of that Tech Pro. Got it. Um, because... He hit the start of the tech pro. You didn't get the energy absorption. Got it. So it's do they lengthen the tech pro or do they remove it completely? Mark Weber wants it removed completely. Aussie grit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they're going to take a look at that. Obviously, it's not something that happened this year, uh, but they'll be looking at that for next year as to what makes the most sense. It was originally put in that location because the simulations when they designed the track said this was the area where, where there was going to be the greatest possibility of a high-impact hit. They didn't look at cars running along the wall. Ah. 
So, hey, guess what? The fifth dentist caved and Trident's now five for five? Close. The proposed race in Miami faces major local opposition. No, really. <laughs> um, I think that it facing no opposition would have been more surprising than Trident going five for five. So the problem I have with this is there reasons for why the locals are upset about the race and why they're stopping or why they want to stop it. So there was a hearing earlier this week, um, which as a result of that hearing, they pushed for a another large-scale public hearing on a decision as to whether or not to approve the race. They have not given any approval on it. The local community is arguing that um, the disruption of traffic from the road closure and the deadly, their words, deadly effects of air and noise pollution are why they should cancel, they should not hold a race at the stadium. Now, keep in mind, okay, that the road that they want to close is the very same road that is closed when a Super Bowl comes to town, when a, ma- a major, major sporting event happens at that stadium, outside, big, bigger than your average weekend football game. That road gets closed. Okay. But for Formula One to come in, that's a big disruption. Okay. What what I don't get is when you look at a Formula One weekend compared to a Super Bowl weekend, compared to any of the other events that are hosted there, I'm not completely sure the disruption and the noise level is all that much greater from that stadium. So what other argument do you want them to use? I mean, they can't argue that they shouldn't have the race at the stadium because it's stupid. I mean, I could, but they're the neighborhood. They, they Their options are inconvenience and noise. I mean, what else? You're going to bring an unsavory element? You might bring Bernie Eccleston to the neighborhood? <laughs> I mean, what are they going to complain about? You've got to couch I, your complaints I, into something that's reasonable. I, I, I could see it more from the perspective of the economic benefit of this race is not there. for some. But the stadiums are, the venue's already there. It already exists. The disruption that this is going to bring is no different than most events that already happen there. And this isn't going to be like um, a football game. I don't think that they're going to get 150,000. This isn't going to be like Austin. I don't think they're going to get 150,000 people to to this race. I don't see it happening. Okay. One. You want them to complain because the idea is stupid. I I get that. And I don't argue that piece. Let them use whatever. This is not. Let them use whatever argument will work to quash this idea. Don't judge the (laughs) 
<laughs> the argument. I want them to be more convincing so that it works. But remember what uh, what they what tools they have in their toolbox. You cannot have them argue economic impact if they are not economically impacted. You cannot argue the things that you're trying to make the argument about. They get life disruption and noise and lights and Bernie Eccleston might come to their neighborhood. Those are the reasons why you shouldn't have a race there, according to the neighbors. Now, there's other people out there that are going to make the arguments about economic impact and, you know, whether or not the juice is worth the squeeze and, you know, however many people are going to have to stop at the state line and drink orange juice. I don't know. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you can only use the argument that you can stand on. And the neighbors around that stadium put up with it a lot to live around that stadium. Therefore, they're going to use the argument they can stand on. Don't stop them. Okay. T to some extent, I kind of view that as you knew the stadium was there. The stadium wasn't always there. The stadium predates a lot of those houses. Not all of them. And most of the people that were there moved in after the stadium. Fine. Just saying. Anyway, so big news this week. The official yes. prov approval came out this week for the 2021 Technical Sporting and Financial Regulations. And this is the first time that Formula One has revised all three at the same time. So we have renderings of the new car. Mm -hmm. um, as a reminder, the goal behind this, according to the words we have heard, the goal behind this is to improve racing, to bring more parity overall to the field, and to allow the cars to race closer and thereby have better racing. So aerodynamically, as we've been saying, they have changed the way the aerodynamics work, uh, where much of the downforce on the car is produced by ground effects and by channeling air under the car as opposed to over and around the car. Um, the tail wing of the car has specifically been designed to throw the wake or the outwash of, of the air going behind the car up higher as opposed to lower, which in theory should make it easier for a car to follow. It should reduce amount, the amount of dirty air that's behind mm -hmm. it. So <clears throat> what do you think of the design? I think it has potential. I'm reserving judgment until I see what it does for the races. Because honestly, it doesn't really matter how pretty the car is if the racing sucks. Well, I agree with you there. I mean... I mean, let's go back to the, the cars that we have now and this whole idea of the racing sucks, so we need to make the cars go faster. Yeah. Not to make it so that they can race better, so that they can go faster. Yes, the cars look better than the cars that came before them and they go faster, but the racing's not better. So to me, that wasn't a win. If this makes the racing better, I'll consider it a win. Even if that means we have to get shark fins back. If that makes the racing better, go for it. There's no shark fins. But that's what I mean. I think it looks aggressive and hot. It, it does look very aggressive. Um, 
but I want to see how it impacts the racing. I'm, I, I agree with you. It, it does come down to the racing, but since I have not seen it moving yet, I think it looks aggressive and I think it looks pretty and I like it. It gets my seal of approval. So some of the notif- noticeable differences. Um, we've got the smaller sidewall tires with larger wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a simpler front wing and we'll see how much the teams get to keep it that simple. Um, with some additional fairings on the end plate to help steer air, uh, as well as fairings over the front tires. Right. Uh, we have a tall, once again, we're going back to a somewhat taller tail wing and a wider tail wing. In theory, this wing has a bit more rake to it, so there's a bit more of an angle. Now, what I don't know is how much the teams will be able to impact the angle of that tail wing. So... You know, we go to a track like Monza, which is, will they be able to run super thin wings? Or will we be stuck with the, the, the sharper rake to those wings no matter what? I don't know. That'll be very interesting. Um, the engine formula is unchanged. Okay. So we'll see. Uh, there are specific areas, as before, where cars are supposed to be untouched. However, Nicholas Tambasis who is the head of single-seater technical matters for the FIA, believes that there is opportunity for performance and aesthetic differentiators. Um, even though areas of the car have been restricted because they want to make sure that the cars don't produce too much wake and don't hurt efforts to make them uh, easier to follow. Um, according to him, the nose, front wing and end plates, engine intake, side pod intake shape, side pod shape and engine cover spine brake ducts and rear wing and end plates are areas that he foresees visual differentiation now where i have that question okay is year one they may be very different they may look very different but as teams get a handle on the design and folks start seeing what's working and what doesn't teams tend to all migrate to doing the same thing so I, I got to kind of wonder how long that visual differentiation is really going to last. And honestly, if the, the front wing and the end plate is angled at four degrees or five degrees, yeah, it may be different. Nobody can tell. It's what you can see that's different. I mean, when they authorize the extra two tires to make a six-wheel car, we'll see differences. Mm-hmm. But, we, you know, it's it's the common man differences that we're looking for. Um, areas that have been restricted include under chassis devices, barge boards, diffuser, and rear wing endpoint complexities. Now, what exactly those complexities are, we don't know. Uh, I also saw, saw something, and I don't know where it is, uh, that they're exploring the use of LED panels or displays of some sort on the wheels interesting Uh, yeah to give information about the cars position so if you remember a couple of years ago well the the previous generation indy cars they had those displays on the side pod it sounds like they may be looking to incorporate something like that but using different display technology that could be interesting so i don't know if that's going to happen for 2021 but I hear they're looking at it. That could be neat. That could be. 
So, you know, we heard that Ferrari was considering vetoing the rules because they don't like them. Mm-hmm. Um, what they have decided now is that they, they, they have not given up on this idea that they don't like the rules. They're not happy with them. <coughs> um, but now they say that it's probably better for them to try to be a part of the solution to help make F1 better rather than simply complaining about the problem. Okay, good plan. <clears throat> yeah. Um, probably, they're acknowledging that, yes, F1 needs to change, and they need to help facilitate that change, and even if they don't like it, they can probably do more by playing in the system as opposed to going and throwing their toys out of the pram and running away. Mm-hmm. So as because of that, they are insistent. They still don't like the rules, but they're going to work with them and work within them. Um, the other agreements that came out as part of this, uh, they can have up to 25 races a season. Wow. Which is brutal. I mean, let, let's just be clear. that As much as for, for folks like us who want to see more racing, it's cool for the trackside folks and the drivers. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they are doing to help manage that is they're going to shorten the weekends. Now, again, from a fan perspective, this won't have a massive impact. But basically what they're doing is the Thursday activities. And since most of us as fans don't go to the track on Thursdays, the Thursday's activities are going to be rolled into Friday. Okay. And they're going to do more on the Fridays. There's also going to be changes to when uh, scrutineering is going to happen. Um, they're going to shift scrutineering to Friday mornings. And it has to be completed one and a half hours before the practice. That's basically to set a reference setup for the car. But teams still get in free practice one and free practice two. They can trial parts. They can trial all setups, things of that nature. But everything that they use that's not up to the reference specification has to be removed before free practice three on Saturday. Okay. Um, so we'll see where that goes. The teams are also now required to run rookies in two free practice one sessions in 2021. And that's just two throughout the entire year. Yes. That doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's not a big deal. Although what we found this year is that there haven't been a whole lot of opportunities. So the only two times that this occurred this year was, um, what was it? Nicholas Latifi got to drive a Williams and Naoki Yamamoto uh, got to drive a Red Bull in Japan. But we saw for several years, Jolien Palmer got seats in the Lotus. Mm-hmm. Nobody else has really gotten to do that. None of the other teams have, have allowed. Ro- so in the past, Lando Norris, Antonio Giovinazzi and George Russell all got the opportunity. Didn't happen this year. So trying to get more opportunities to develop the, the drivers, uh, requirement is that the driver can't have driven in more than two Grand Prix in order to meet the bill. Okay. However, the big loophole here, and this works really well for the junior teams, is that if your driver is a rookie, your full-time driver is a rookie, they meet the requirements here in their first two races. Oh. Their first two weekends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because they'd be rookies. Exactly. And hadn't. So you'll knock it out in 
too racist. Exactly. You don't need to bring in another driver for that because your newly hired rookie who has not driven in Formula One meets the requirement. Okay. Um, now, the other thing is that for the rookie drivers, if they complete 100 kilometers during a free practice session, uh, they get one additional point for their super license. Beneficial point as opposed to penalty point. It's important to point that out nowadays. Okay. Um, as long as they don't get any penalty points, they get a point for that. Um, in order to qualify for this, one, as we mentioned, you can't drive more than uh, two Grand Prix, period. Um, also, you need to have either a full super license or what they call a Friday super license, which is the limited super license that obviously is just good for practice sessions. It's like a learner's permit? Kind of, yeah. I tried to apply for one. You need a race license first. That was the problem, they said. Yeah. And apparently, again, taking my own driver's license and writing race in Black Sharpie didn't work. No, it didn't work. Um, so if that rule had been put in place this year, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, Renault, Haas, and Racing Point all would have had to come up with drivers to drive free practice one sessions. Okay. Throwing it out there. The next big change that was announced as part of this whole thing. Budget caps. We've only been talking about them for like five years. They are official. Um, it is $175 million a year. That has been agreed on. It is frozen. But the thing to note about this is that that budget cap comes into effect in 2021. Car development for 2021 kind of started, started now yeah kind of started this week and a budget cap doesn't apply so in theory the big teams could steer their resources earlier this year or early next year rather to that car and pour all the development money into that car before the cost cap comes into effect and naturally they would well chase carries says now they would Oh, really? Has he not met anybody at Ferrari yet? What what he says is that there's been noise around it, but realistically, these teams are rebuilding the car every year no matter what. This is a transition, and we feel it's important to move forward with the transition. Some of the arguments that were put were arguments to try to defer the implementation as opposed to issues about what are the consequences of the transition. What we are really doing is transitioning to a long-term structure that's healthier for the business healthier for the sport on the track, and healthier for the teams in it. The transition through to that next year, they're going to do what they do every year when they go in and rebuild the car. Yeah, I, I think you need a little more experience in Formula 1. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think he understands that these guys have been, they're planning three years ahead. I mean, that's the way this works. Well, it was, I think it was, Six years that Mercedes built was working on the hybrid engine that powered the twenty four this generation of car. Yes, before that rule even took effect. Yeah, six years. I mean, why do you think they got it right? Yeah. Okay. So Chase Carey thinks that this won't be a problem. He does say that 
they are going to be monitoring team spending this year. And while there are no penalties or, or for 2020, while there are no penalties for exceeding 20, they are watching it. Mm-hmm. And he considers it to be a dry run for 2021. Okay. Now, the next question that comes from that is, well, what happens if you break the cost cap? And Ross Braun is insistent that there are some pretty significant teeth to breaking the crop, the cost cap to uh, now all he would mention was if you won the championship and you broke the cost cap they would pull your title interesting which i'm assuming means they'd pull the money that goes with it ouch now if you don't win the title uh, does that mean they just pull a fraction of the prize money i don't know yeah. but he is insistent that the penalties are fairly steep if you get caught it's the if you get caught. I'm sure Ferrari will write a letter. Yeah. Well, somebody will write a letter. Now, with all of these rules that are coming down, mm-hmm. you know that there's got to be people that are looking to see whether or not they want to stay in the sport, get back in the sport, maybe get into the sport for the first time. So I have to ask. What's Fernando Alonso doing? <laughs> what is Fernando doing? Because that's what everybody wants to know is, hey, what's Fernando doing? <laughs> or is it just a matter of Fernando missed having a headline, so we needed to say something. <laughs> well, yeah. So Fernando is saying that he is looking very carefully at the newer rules. And if it looks good, you know, he would consider a return to Formula One. Now, the question I have is, just because he wants to come to Formula One doesn't mean that a team wants him back at Formula One. Well, here's the question. If the rules didn't look good, but a team wanted him back, would he still consider (laughs) staying out of Formula One? I don't know. I'm glad you gave him his 30 more seconds of silliness. So, hey, Racing Point, they're getting a new facility. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not under the cost cap. Not under the cost cap. Uh, I don't think that this would count because it's not car development per right. se. But apparently they have uh, significantly outgrown their building, which is Eddie Jordan's old building. It's from Aww. Jordan F1. Um, apparently the building is no, lo- no longer suited to purpose. Um, now, they're going to keep the old building. This building will be built in a greenfield next to the existing Silverstone facility. Uh, It'll be Jordan adjacent? Jordan adjacent. Well, the the Jordan building will still be part of their facility. Um, What they're going to do is they're going to be using it for storage and loading and (laughs) logistics. The mail room got moved to Jordan. (laughs) Well, as I'm reading this, I'm like, what are they going to do? Go and store the the engines in Eddie's old office? I mean, (laughs) the catering is going to be in Eddie's office. I'm sure it, I'm sure that would work. And mail room down the hall. But the the new facility will be 15,000 square meters and has been designed to specifications overseen by Lawrence Stroll. Oh no. Because you know the guy who owns the clothing company, he knows how to build a facility for racing design and development. Okay, you say that. But Jordan, <laughs> Eddie Jordan owned a race team did mm-hmm. well didn't win a championship but he did okay absolutely the craziest shirt you've ever seen in your life yeah so clothing must have oh is uh, that where you were going benetton had success in formula one i'm going down the clothing here okay 
All right. Um, while we're on the topic of Racing Point, uh, you may have caught wind that Sergio Perez started the U.S. Grand Prix from the pit lane. I did hear that he started from the pit lane. We know what happened. He started from the pit lane. Well, we know why he started <laughs> from the pit lane. Thank you. So it was during the Friday practice, uh, one of the Friday practices, uh, he failed to stop at the Waybridge going into the pit lane. But it was more than just that he failed to stop at the, at the Waybridge. He made it past the light. He stopped because he realized he missed the Waybridge and asked the team what to do. The team, now, technically what is supposed to happen is that you go into the Waybridge, the car needs to get weighed before the team does anything to the car. Anything at all. Mm -hmm. Instead, what the team did is they had him come to the pit box and they changed his tires, which counts as working on the car, and then sent him over to the Waybridge. Ew. You can't do that, as the kids would say. As the kids, <laughs> as the kids are saying. All right, so he started from the pit lane. So as a result of that, and, and, and basically they pushed him back to, to put him on the Waybridge after they changed the tires. Mm. I'm kind of surprised that the team didn't get fined for this too because they knew better. Yeah. Um, you also probably noticed this weekend that Pete Bonington was back. Yes. He seemed no worse for the wear for his he, minor outpatient surgery. He did. And, and to be honest with you, given the fact that Lewis didn't clinch it in Mexico City, honestly, I would have been stunned if Pete didn't figure out a way to get back, to get to Austin for this. I oh, mean, yeah. if there was any way that, just the overall timing seemed odd, but if there was any way that, that Bono could have been there for championship, for, for driver's championship number six, been stunned i mean to not have bono there would have been very weird but it was good that to see bono back i love to see the amount of coverage that bono's return got um well you know he's, he's his voice is one of the more known ones in formula one well they play his radio calls quite a bit mm -hmm. i did like when lewis was you know complaining about his tires whether or not he was you know he was on a one-stop strategy and mm -hmm. you know was he going to be pushing for the win and all of a sudden you hear talk to me bono yeah. <laughs> and i'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you you need your stabling influence i got it <laughs> well you know since, since we're talking about winning the world championship and the end of the U.S. Grand Prix, what was going on on the podium? I'm sorry. This was not the first time that Rick Perry has been to a Formula One race and has given out the trophy. And <laughs> how did Rick to... Perry not know who he was supposed to hand that trophy to? It was everybody who wanted to give the trophy to Hamilton. <laughs> All the trophies go to Hamilton. All oh, of the trophies going go to Hamilton. There. Everybody, oh, do we give this? No, go to that guy. <laughs> do we give this? You no, no, go to that, that guy. guy. I'll take that one. And, and uh, you know, this is not the first time that Rick Perry's done this. Okay, but he couldn't remember his third point in his presidential race. You know, energy, <laughs> energy, honey. Yeah, that that was not so he, a great showing from the the U.S. Grand Prix podium there. No, no, it was not. Granted, it, it was better than 
Mario Andretti finishing up his interviews by going, hey, am I done now? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so, Red Bull was the one who wrote the letter. Red Bull wrote the letter. Red Bull wrote a letter to the FIA for clarification over a potential loophole that it believed could be used to beat fuel flow regulations. And they wrote this in clarification because, again, they think that this may be what is giving Ferrari the engine advantage that is that. Is this the burning oil and as fuel for like that split second that uh, the, we talked about last week? And Well, what Red Bull said is it's related to fuel flow meter signal filtering. So basically... Fuel flow is only measured at intervals, and Red Bull outlined possible systems that might be able to meet the legal requirements of those measuring points, but still provide a higher fuel flow, which would then provide improved performance between those points. Okay. Now, when you go and write a letter like this, the response that comes back goes to all the teams in the, in the form of a technical directive, mm-hmm. which in short said, no, you can't do this. Right. Obviously, there was more to it than that. But in short, it said, no, you can't do this. Thank you for asking. That was the total technical directive. (laughs) Without turning around and saying, these teams are doing this and need to make a change. It just was, these are the rules that that say that you can't do this, is all that came out. Now, this happened before the U.S. Grand Prix. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Ferrari... They did show up to the Grand Prix, right? They did. They didn't do so hotsy-totsy, did they? Well, I don't know what happened with Seb's car. I, I, I don't know how they huh. that, that broke. Something broke. Um, now, Charles Leclerc had an engine change. Um, they had a throttle issue that they attributed specifically to the bumps on the track. Everybody was complaining some, about the bumps yeah, it on the did. track. Um. But yes, Ferrari had a performance issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Must they have, have ex- taken that fuel flow out of, out of the <clears throat> mater mix, huh? Well, they say that it has nothing to do with that. They exp- they say that what happened in Texas was they were performing an experiment, a very deliberate experiment. Ah. So what they were doing, as they as they say, is that. They have been running the cars with a reduced level of downforce all season, which is what gives them the straight line speed. Correct. Where they have not been, where that has hurt them is that it means that their cornering speeds are slower. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they did as an experiment this race, because constructors already settled, they knew drivers was going to get settled, is they put more downforce on the car. They wanted to see how that would affect in a race situation. So they're saying that the loss of speed and loss of performance that they had was because they put more downforce on the car. Oh, BKB? That, that's what Ferrari says. Uh-huh. Now, Max Verstappen, uh, commenting to Ziggo Sport, the Dutch TV channel, after the race, he said, that's what happens when you stop cheating, of course. But yeah, they did a good look at it. So now we have to keep a close eye on it, of course. Yeah. Uh, and Max would know. Yeah. So yes, Max is throwing out there that He's the huge. fuel flow filter measurement thing 
that that was what was the issue and now that that's turned off that that's not gonna happen i yeah no well you know we'll see in brazil if ferrari you know change their experiment and take the downforce back off the car and they still don't know where to be found that's the thing though because brazil is a high downforce track brazil is a short track with a lot of corners that they run a lot of downforce on because of the corners so in that kind of a situation, the low downforce car with high straight line speed isn't necessarily an advantage. True. That's a good track for Red Bull, though. It should be. But they did well in Singapore, so I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Um, over at Renault, they have signed Pat Fry, who will join the team in 2020, once he is free of his current contractual obligations with McLaren. He's huh. already left McLaren. He's been consulting with them for a few years. Uh, but Pat Fry's been around. Uh, he has been with Ferrari before. Uh, started off, though, with the Enstone team back when it was Benetton. See? Yep. I knew I'd circle back to Benetton. Uh, went to McLaren, eventually becoming chief engineer. Then went to Ferrari as a chassis technical director. Um, became engineering director. Spent some time over at Manor. He's bounced around. A bit. He's got some experience. Um Although I think he may have been involved with the disastrous car designs of the last few years. So I don't know. All right. Go to bed. Go, go, Mr. Fry. Hey, speaking of McLaren, even though it was on the car this weekend, we are going into the Brazilian Grand Prix in two weeks without the Brazilian oil company on the side of the car. Because that the Petrobras deal has officially been terminated with immediate effect after the U.S. Grand Prix. Okay. Wasn't it the Brazilian president that said he didn't want it on their car? Yep. And they're going to go into the Brazilian Grand Prix and no car is going to have Petrobras on it? Yep. Okay. He didn't want to be reelected, huh? Uh, I I wouldn't go that far. I mean, you would think Keep that in... pro-Brazilian advertising would be key to you such You would things. think that, but also keep in mind who this guy is. Mm-hmm. He is quite literally the brazilian version of donald trump very very much that so i don't know if this is going to have the impact you think it will okay just saying um and then our our last story really our last story our last story really and we'll see if this is really going to be our last story you have more well, you have blatantly ignored the single biggest story of the entire week. You want to talk about the sixth title? Of course I want to talk about the sixth title. All right, then I'll do that before our last story. Because this is really, a, it, it's a good story for it to be last. Okay, how how is it physically possible that you ignore the single, we go through technical regulations. You made me sit through technical regulations and you didn't want to talk about his sixth, sixth title? Well, why didn't you talk about that when I was mocking Rick Perry on the podium? That was uh, the time to talk about it. It was not the time to talk about it. It was. It was the podium. No, because I said everybody wanted to give Lewis the trophy. It's like all the trophies go to Lewis. All the trophies. So what do you think of the fact that my favorite driver wisely my favorite driver won yet again i will admit that in the end of 2012 we thought him going to mercedes was monumentally stupid and was probably right up there in stupidity with most of fernando alonso's career decisions 
<laughs> I will admit that. <laughs> was it the end of 2012 that I thought he it went in 2013? He, he went. No, to. he did it in 2013. Because remember, the engine regulations changed in 2014. So the last year of the V8s was 2013. And that was when McLaren went and changed the, the suspension concept and ruined the car. Right. I thought he drove for them with the ruined car. No, oh. he did not. He drove in 2012. And arguably in 2012, McLaren had the fastest car. And he should have been content in contention for that. But McLaren kept screwing up trackside. Right. Okay. I'm obviously getting my years off. Yeah. But, yes, six world championships to Mr. Hamilton. Yeah, 2013 was Jensen Button and Sergio Perez at McLaren. Okay. Followed and that's by... when they stopped doing the tuned uh, cartoon. Yes. Which is very funny and yes, very good. tuned. I miss it when it was Hamilton and Button because they were adorable in it. <laughs> cartoon Hamilton and Cartoon Button were fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right, six titles. It, it's, you know, even two years ago, I would have said that I didn't think that Mercedes and Lewis were going to have the consistent level of success that there was a strong chance he was going to challenge the Schumacher record. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced of that anymore. I, I think that there is a possi- a, a strong possibility. I, I, I still think that Ferrari may wake up for, for next year, but I still think that there is a strong possibility that Lewis could tie the record. I don't know what will happen in 21. 21 is going to be a Big wild card. Mm-hmm. That'll be a wild card. Um, I mean, no different than 14 was going to be a wild card. And quite frankly, um, Lewis's decision to go to Mercedes could have been a Fernando-level ex- mm-hmm. decision. Or it it is what it is. A phenomenally wise choice and beautifully executed and all of those great things. Um so I was listening to Five Live and they said a stat that absolutely flummoxed me. Okay. So in the U.S. Grand Prix, Lewis started fifth. To give you an idea of how on point that man has been driving, his the fifth place on the grid was his worst start since he crashed in Q1 in Brazil, Brazil 2017. Yeah. It is practically two straight years of not starting lower than fifth. Now, by comparison, however, yes, he has had some very good starting positions, but he hasn't had pole since before the midseason break. Correct. And he's been... He, Valtteri has more pole positions than he does. By one. Still. By one. Still. If you're... Yes. To, to have that number on Lewis Hamilton... Is huge. Mm-hmm. The master of the one-lap pace, master of qualifying that he typically is seen as, he's definitely 
he's he's gotten to that point where his mastery of qualifying has is not there like it is in the race. But I, I and, and I haven't looked it up. But I would bet you in terms of qualifying position, Valtteri's been keeping pace with Lewis, if not out qualifying him this year. Well, he he's got one more pole than he does. But see, Valtteri has. I'm. Uh, we all know I love Valtteri. I mm-hmm. really do. The he's an excellent, excellent driver. But Valtteri, when on, can keep pace with Lewis. Well, but obviously, as we've seen this year, he can beat Lewis, and he can beat Lewis. The problem is Valtteri is not always on. Yeah, and. You know, what I look at is, like, last year, he wasn't second in the championship. Last year, he was, like, fifth. Last year was not. I mean. It was not a good year This for This year, Valtteri has had the level of success that we would expect from a Mercedes driver paired to Lewis. Correct. If not, he should have been. I mean, he should have been closer in a few more races. But the fact is, you know, I wholly expected that before the start of the three races from the end of the season that Lewis was going to have this clinched. Oh, yeah. I, I fully expected that. And the fact that Valtteri has managed, had managed to keep himself close enough that he was at least mathematically in contention until this past weekend, I think that says a lot for the, the season that he has had. Mm-hmm. And the season he needed to have. Yeah. All right, so I'll wrap it up with huge congratulations to Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton and even Valtteri for a good Valtteri season. deserves it. Um, I'm still hopeful that Valtteri has an even better season next year. I want to see big fights. I want to see a fight go down to Abu Dhabi. I really do. The last season of this era, that would be awesome. Let's take the fight all the way through the season and let Lewis win. Okay. So now our last story. Now you can tell this silly story. Early last week, Rich Energy. You thought they were gone. But they're not gone. <laughs> Just when you think you they're gone. They were gone. Um, tweeted about a potential new sponsorship deal in F1 using the hashtag, or using the tagline, Premium British Performance, and hashtags mentioning McLaren and Renault all in one tweet interesting yeah um i thought they were supposed to take william story's <coughs> access away from twitter so did i then again i had also heard that rich energy as an organization really didn't exist because they'd gone into receivership and they were like bolt light lightning bolt or something lightning volt oh yeah they got sold to that other company that yeah i heard yeah. that too i think so, we talked about that i i it was a little surprised to hear that the account still existed. Now, um, maybe they got hacked. <laughs> I don't know. It's Jalopnik, really. So, Zach Brown was asked about this. And he said um, he was asked if there had been any talks with Rich or William Story or anybody in this organization. And he said, not at all. I was sent that. And the guy obviously likes to draw attention to himself. I haven't spoken with them. I won't speak with them. 
I think that it is an attempt to get some publicity, which those comments prompted a response from Rich's tweet, oh. or Rich Energy's Twitter account, rather, who tweeted, we asked Zach Brown of McLaren F1 to clarify and apologize for his false statement on Rich Energy. They then went on to insist that meetings had taken place and that a Rich Energy McLaren livery had been mocked up. The post continued, our CEO has met him multiple times to discuss deals at his club Alfred's and at many races this year. Rich Energy was shown to us at the tech center in Woking. And a subsequent tweet showed a picture of William Story posing with the 1980s McLarens, quote, from when the team were winners at the team's headquarters. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> you know what? You know what would be an absolute master stroke? And honestly, they should do it for dirt cheap. Uh-oh. Like, they should not charge them. McLaren should go to White Bikes <laughs> and say, we're going to put your logo on our car. Not going to cost you anything, but we're going to promote White Bikes. Just because. Just because you deserve it. Actually, that's Haas brilliant. Haas should do it. Haas not should do McLaren. That. Haas should do that. Haas should do it. That would be awesome. Um, so Zach Brown did. Well, say- since we have, we you know, we we apparently know somebody mysteriously <laughs> at Haas. We could suggest that to them yeah. as their new marketing yeah. plan. Just do it for one race. Just just because. Preseason testing. Throw a stag on there. Um, but Zach did say that even though uh, the deal with Petrobras had been terminated and that he was not considering a, a potential pairing with Rich Energy, he does say that more sponsors are coming. And he also wanted to point out, if you had not noticed this, so one of McLaren's sponsors on their tail wing is Husky Chocolate. Mm-hmm. This weekend, Husky Chocolate also had logo placement on the Alfa Romeos. Yeah. Um, according to Zach, this is a one-time, this was a one-time deal, um, not a sign that Husky was considering moving on. What he says is that Husky is a Swiss brand. Right. And Alpha, despite the name, Alpha is a Swiss, a Swiss racing team. Um, there is some connections between the leadership at Husky and the leadership, well, the, the former Sauber leadership over at Alpha. And that's why, now, why they chose America to do it as opposed to any other race, I don't know. Um, but he says that it was a one-off and it was because of those connections that it was run. Okay. Not because Husky's considering leaving them. Just so you know. He says there it's just an existing relationship. They have a lot of people out here this weekend, so they wanted additional exposure. We're not losing another sponsor. We're good. We got this, man. It's cool. It's all good. It's all good. All righty. Well, on that, I think we could call it a show. Yeah. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs>